Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome back to the show, guys. We have a jam-packed one for you today. Is it the SL8 or the Venge? Trace Fellow is reviewing some Chinese group sets. Is it possible to save money on the bike? Wift Worlds and a very, very Nero Show Pro Cycling sum up. All right, let's get into it. You're going to start us off today, Jesse, because I'm coming in hot. Okay. All right, I'm All coming right. in hot. Let's go. What do you got for me? Bike Radar YouTube channel. Can I just say that channel's blowing up, but they did a video recently talking about the SL8 from Specialized and what they want out of it. And their take was that they want to see an update to the Venge, go back more into the aero after the SL7 do-it-all job. I couldn't really care less what the SL8 is. I just thought it was interesting that that video got a lot of views. And I'm looking at that going, clearly there's a lot of people that still see the S-Works SL model as the bleeding edge of road bike tech and i want your take on it what do you think i think they're right i do i mean just speaking purely personally about myself i'm not a i'm not a specialized kool-aid drinker by any stretch i actually don't think i've ever owned one but from a purely like what's the market doing what's what's the industry doing what are people buying yeah I, i reckon it is i mean I'm there thinking if, if, if they do, let's, let's say, for example, let's say they do come out with, with an updated Venge. I guarantee you the rest of the industry then turns around and goes, shit, all right, fast aero bikes are back. Let's all go down that route. It's, we will follow. We'll follow Specialized. No chance. They lost that. Uh, to me, they lost that two years ago. When they, get, when they got rid of the Venge, they lost their top spot as, as the, the head, head honcho of tech because if I look at that now, I'm thinking, okay, S-Works have the SL7, cool. The Athos, which was a dud, not, not in terms of the bike, but in terms of its uptake in the market, Athos, nothing, and that's it. That's their two bikes. Uh, to me, the actual new head from last year that took the spot was Cervelo. Come out with the, the S5 and the, um, and the R5. Okay, R5 didn't really catch, but the S5 to me is the top bike in terms of tech from last year and they took that over i mean even to me then s-works isn't even second i'd almost say canyon is probably second in there with the ultimate and the aeroad coming in ahead of s-works and i'd almost say specialized isn't even third anymore because i think cannondale with the system six in terms of aerodynamics is freaking is the head is the head of the aero bikes and then they've still got the super six couldn't disagree more couldn't disagree more. So uh, you are, to start with, letting performance get in the way of far too much going on with the bike industry to start with. Like it, you clearly are, I think personally, I would be in the minority of people who are so who are pretty engaged in pro cycling, kind of know who's getting results, pretty engaged even in your own domestic racing. Most guys, most people following the sport aren't really watching it that much. What they're probably being told is by the by the shops they're seeing the marketing and there's still this thing mate there is still this thing this underlying and you see it all again like oh you know specialized specialized teams equipment advantage you know there is it still plays underneath there they've got it i don't know how they got it but they've got it and i look i don't 
I don't go that far. I'm, I'm not here sort of thinking, oh, you know, there's, there's something special to that bike. But I do genuinely think that they're the market leader just because they are. Well, I reckon if they are still, which I would question, I think it's a shadow of what it was two or three years ago. I can't believe the Cannondale. Come on. I, I would like to do a Cannondale, not, not to the extent of uh, Trek dead, but I do want to do a Cannondale chat at some point because they've been bought by a, this subsidiary company who are big in e-bikes. And I, I got a take, hot take, hot take. Cannondale, 24 months' time, the majority of its sales will be e-bikes and they won't even be in that sort of – they'll be – road performance will be an afterthought for that brand. Yeah, but the umbrella company also owns Cervelo. So you may see a bit of crossover between whoever the good designers are or the engineers. If Okay, people are going to laugh at that. Cause, <laughs> but anyway – they might sort of come together and put all, make all they might put all that R&D into Cervelo and then see you specialised. Synapse was the marker for where that company is headed in the future. You heard it here first. What else did you hear here first that I saw pop up the other day? DC Rainmaker did that thing about this, the power meter. Oh, yeah. That it didn't work. And I was like, mate, we called that six months ago. <laughs> what are you talking about? Yeah. I could have told you that. SL8, SL7, SL Tarmac, Specialized, whatever. Are they still frothworthy? Are they still the market leaders? Let us know down below what's your group saying. So we've got a mate who we've been riding with, which we won't name, but uh, he's made a big step in his cycling career. He's decided he wants to stop spending money on stuff. He's just got to that point where he's realized just money going out left, right and center. I'm going through all this new stuff and he's done. That's it. He just wants to rein things back and stop spending money on everything. But it brings up the question, what do you spend money on and what can you cut back on and save on? And that's what I want to get into. What do you, what do you reckon? Should but we start just, with saving? Yeah, well, can I just quickly mention, this bloke's not a weekend warrior either. So it's not, it, it, he needs gear, he needs reliable gear, he's riding a lot. You know, I think I think that is that is definitely worth worrying about. I mean, yeah, I can say, I mean, there's the obvious stuff. It's just stop buying new crap. Like the shiny new things you want, whether it's, so kit, nice new pair of shoes, whatever. That's the obvious stuff. Just stop buying it. If, if you've got a reliable kit, just stick with it. Uh, I think the other place you could probably save money, that can be a big outlay, especially if you're training a high volume, is just nutrition products. I mean, you can chew through. If you're going through three or four gels a ride, drink mix, bars, it can add up. So whether you just switch from a specific nutrition product just to sugar water, which I'm big on, a lot of people are doing, whether it's switching from a specific sports nutrition bar to something from the supermarket, that's a big one. It's worth looking into um, for that. Uh, you got anything? Just in terms of obviously he's someone who's already got a, little, a lot of this stuff, but there's there's some simple ways in the beginning to, to kind of maybe avoid this, and that's with the kit you buy, have it really plain. And I mean like black bibs because then with black bibs you can easily just get black leg warmers and simple I'm sorry, you know, be safe, be sane. People are going to hate me for saying this, but just simple like stuff that is going to wear well over time. And yes, I'm going to sit here and say everyone needs to go out and buy pink big shorts because I'm big into coloured bibs, yes. But simple muted colours just last and last and last. You can ride them in slop. You can ride them on hot days. So that's potentially potentially something to start. Other big one for me is servicing your bike. Okay. Oh, here we go. What are they doing when they service your bike? I, I, it blows my mind, right? Okay, here's my thing. Here's my take. Firstly, save money. Learn how to do some stuff for yourself. Now, Chris, uh, you're a bit of a serial I'm off to the bike shop offender. And I don't understand what you're doing in there because most of the stuff you can do on your own. So I think every competitive enthusiast road cyclist should be able to change their own chain, replace their own cassettes, Brake pads, disc brake pads, I mean, rotors, all of that sort of stuff, you should just be able to do on your own. So if you leave out any, I don't really know what else there is that you would need to go and get your bike serviced. Because if you're getting a bike service every couple of months, that that adds up in cost. Uh, <laughs> you do, you're kind of right. I, I have to out myself. That is definitely somewhere that I lean to okay i'm i'm living under this illusion right and maybe it's it's a twofold illusion the first is that if i get it serviced regularly that it's going to like 
you're already looking what's the surface. It's going to it's going to in some way like give me more longevity. I don't know bike. what you think they're doing in there. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right, I'm sorry. Okay. What the actual truth is, I'm I I'm going in there and I'm getting it serviced, quote unquote. <laughs> And I'm coming away thinking my bike got faster. Okay. There's the problem. I'm right. sorry. I've said it. I've said it out loud. Now everyone's heard me say it. But, yeah, it's not actually a a long term. This is going to make my bike survive. It, it makes me think my bike's now faster. Okay. Now, I will say this. I will say this, that since going down the route of the waxed chain setup, I have... I have stepped back a little bit. I, I do feel like I have managed to rein in the maintenance at the bike shop a little bit. Okay, so the, what are the things that I would say is worth going to the bike shop for? Bearing replacements. You can do it yourself, but it's kind of annoying. That's pretty much, yeah, pretty much it. Bearing replacements or like a major upgrade that needs to be done. Swapping, you know, some specific cranks or something like that. Everything else you really should learn how to do at home because they're not doing anything special in there. So my last point on saving money is the most dangerous the da- most dangerous part of the week I reckon for for this guy is that 20 to 30 minutes after the club ride when everyone sits down at the coffee shop and starts talking yep. because all the chat for those 20 minutes is gear mm-hmm. and it was on the weekend it was and I'm I'm there I I am I'm involved. I'm the I'm the ringleader <laughs> yes. of these conversations. We're talking about shoes. We're talking about saddles. We're talking about rolling resistance. And you're hearing all this stuff. And what happens when you ride away from this sort of park up? It's horses. Yeah. Go home. You open your laptop. You're straight oh, in. Get in. Get yeah. me on there. So, okay. My tip. My number one tip to save money on bike rides is don't have coffee with friends. It's not about saving the money on coffee. It's about all the chat that happens around there. There was a real good one-liner in this chat, right? Bring, we got to bring this up, right? This was one of the all-time greats of gear chat. One of the guys in the bunch had gotten a new Cervelo S5, and the sentence that came out of this person's mouth, one of his friends who has been riding with him, was, he got an S5, I quote, he got an S5, and now when he gets on the front, he has to back off the pedals because he goes so fast. Quote, unquote. <laughs> word for word. It's a self-propulsion machine, <laughs> the S5. Well, you clearly agree with this, having just sat here told me that Cervelo is the market leader. So maybe that quote can be attributed to you. But, yeah, I mean, that, that just says it all for me. Yeah. It's just like... I mean, how can you not go and buy an S5 yeah. after hearing that? The guy's, the guy's riding the brakes. He's going that fast. Oh, dear. Okay, so things that you really do need to spend money on. Because you can't cut back on everything because what's the point of riding your bike if you're just not spending money on anything? So what are, what are things you reckon is worth it? For me, it's local racing. It's not a big expense in the scheme of things. Uh, I I really enjoy it. I, I love it. A little part of me is like it's kind of good for cycling, I suppose, as well. And you just can't get a better hit out. Do you mean like, a t- like well, because it's not that expensive, but I guess like, you know, $20 twice a week, it's not nothing. It adds up over a year. Could easily yep. be a couple thousand dollars. Especially when you never win. Yeah, when you it's, never get uh, prize money. Very much, very much. We can't complain. Handy. We actually get prize money in Australia. In the US, you don't get anything for a local crit usually. So that's nice. Yeah. I got a, I got a couple. Yep. Um, I think bulk buying replaceables for your bike is worth it. I've got a box of CO2 canisters that I've had for ages. So it's worth doing that. So CO2 canisters, tires and chains and cassettes. Anything, if you go on and you see it's on special, just bulk buy. I reckon it's totally worth it. And just have them in stock. I got like a shelf that's like a bike store with stuff I bought that was like 30, 40% off. So, because it doesn't take, it only takes, again, not to just shit on bi- local bike shops, but they're expensive. Like it doesn't, it only takes one or two last minute trips because you forgot a chain and suddenly you're paying double the price you could have. And that, that really does add up. Well, okay, it's a definitely a UK thing. They're big into the winter bike thing. So you have like a secondary bike mm-hmm. as your, that's my, that's my shitter over there that I just, truck through the snow with and then here's my sort of yum, nice, good sort of fast race bike. I honestly think that at the end of the day, okay, yes, there are going to be people living in certain parts of the world. It's not possible. But you are going to have spent more money on the shitter keeping it alive than if you hadn't just ridden the one good bike and kept it and maintained it the whole way through. Not as big an issue here, definitely, but I would always lean towards the just – have a bike. Could not disagree it. more. Yes. I've got the gravel. I've got this shit bike, the gravel bike, the trash bike. 
And that the good thing about that is you don't really have to maintain it. That's the whole point. You just let that thing pretty much run into the ground. And the thing is like when stuff wears out, if it's all wearing out at the same rate, it kind of works. It's only when you try and start upgrading bits like the cassette or the chain that it all just falls to bits. So if you just let that thing slowly disintegrate, I can't tell you how much money I've saved just from keeping the road bike fresh. It's, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, and plus it's just enjoyable not having to have this thing you're stressing about cleaning every time. No, yeah, no, total. But you're, the gravel bike's not a shitter. It's got like DI2 on it. and Oh, know, it's, it's like a, a 15 grand shitter yeah, bike, a, but it's, it's like not treated very well. No, that's true. That's true. Yeah, uh, no, not for me. Not for me. Just look after your main bike. Well, you enjoy cleaning your bike. That probably helps. <laughs> now, what about what about big events? What about like fondos? And <sighs> is that do you do you start ditching those? Or? No. So this is a tough one because they are very expensive. So if you're looking, let's add up. So a fondo weekend, you've got in Australia, you're probably looking at between two fifty to four hundred dollars entry fee. It's got 300 bucks. You've got accommodation usually going to have to be for two nights. That could be 600 bucks. Fuel costs, a couple of meals on the go. It's probably $1,000 to go and do a, a Fondo weekend here, which is a lot of money. But my problem is if you remove them, what is the point of riding? Because they're the memory makers. They're the, if I even, even me who like was still racing, I think back to the, all the, the, the Fondos I did and they're like some of the best days on the bike, the memories and that's why we ride is to create the memory. So I would say try and if you can, don't just get rid of them just because they look expensive because that's it's it really is, in my opinion, it really is worth it. I'd be sad if someone was getting rid of them just because they were trying to save a bit of money. Yeah, I would definitely agree. Start to definitely do those, but cut back on the, sorry, but the tour down unders, the, the kind of mates weekends, that kind of stuff where it's, you know, the gravel weekend riding with the boys type stuff. If I, I would... I would, if you had to choose between the two, I would sort of always go towards the organised event because, like you said, you just get the buzz, you get what's going on. It's it's a bit more of a deal for me. And, yeah. and it's also structured to most people's training. That you do one, spend a thousand dollars for one weekend, and that, that's months worth of prep that we everyone and most people enjoy doing. Yep. And the other thing is, you can save money doing that. I mean, we don't really go to a fondo on our own most of the time. Most of the time, we go to the same ones. So we share the driving, um, we split the accommodation. So you're just saving, it's like half, almost half the cost if you go with a mate. So reach out if you've got a local club or something, or even on the, on the event page, if you don't have anyone to go with, try and find someone because it makes it a lot cheaper. In terms of big events, I specifically say a Fondo and not a road race because we've all been there. You've done, put the same money in to go to a state road race. And you rock up and the break of five goes, you miss it. And then you just are shitty (laughs) riding home. And that's the unfortunate thing about an actual road race is tactics come into play and you can easily just waste all your money. So that's why I prefer the mass participation because you're going to more likely than not get a fair result for, for the money. All right, guys, let us know your thoughts, how to save money, what to spend money on. For me, it's just ride alone. Don't have any friends because then you won't have anyone telling you what to buy. Chris, we've got another cycling YouTuber who's gone full-time in the space, Mr. Trace Velo. Should probably know his name. I don't really, didn't know. Love the channel though. Smashes it. So he's on about 86,000 subscribers and he's resigned from his job and he's making videos full-time. So for those that don't know, it is quite a niche channel, but I'm sure a few of you know. He basically, his whole thing is he buys products from AliExpress, mostly from China, builds bikes up and then shows how to build them and then reviews them, lets people know uh, how they go. So yeah, just shout out to him, great topics, really well edited videos too. Um, he not only just sort of reviews the products, but he spend, he'll do a 20 minute video showing you exactly how to build it. So if you go and buy one of these Chinese group sets, he shows you exactly how they're built and what's potentially wrong with them. So yeah, shout out to him, I think he does a awesome job. Would you suggest he is more of a Shane Millery type or a Hambini type or is cuz I am that's the that's what's kind of in my brain here. I've seen a few of them, but Oh, he's definitely more of a Shane Miller type. Yeah. Very uh he's kind of funny in like a no offense in a sort of a hubbardy way, sort of a nerdy sort of thing, but it's funny. Like really well edited and yeah, and he's just yeah, basically reviewing doing the Shane Miller of Chinese bike parts. Which, yeah, look, I, I like the style. He's kind of edited it and styled it very much like a, an electronics producty type 
Dave Manning type of thing where it's like he's got the sound effects for the transitions and all that stuff. Anyway, that's a YouTube chat. Um, the content matter for me, I just don't care about. And that's that's obviously where my head is. I, I clearly, I know that there's lots of people out there interested in this this stuff, but it's just, it's not why I go on YouTube because the reality is I'm not going to buy a, a group set on AliExpress and try and build it myself. <laughs> like I'm just not going to do it. Like I, it's not... You, you're obviously there. Are you well, it's the ex- this is the exact reason why I would go on YouTube to see something like that's why YouTube exists because it's the individual creator who can buy a product himself and just put the effort in to make a good video and teach us something. And that's the thing. You're not just there getting information about the product. He's going step by step, actually showing you how to build the thing because the truth is, right, this is where I wanted to take this chat really, uh, was, okay, he's reviewing all these Chinese products, but... I don't understand how you're meant to, how are they meant to grow in the market? Because if you bought these, firstly, he spends all day building these bikes with these group sets, which most of us are probably not going to do. And okay, they're cheap, but you're going to have to take these things to a bike shop realistically to build them. And then you're getting into a question of, imagine having the balls to rock up at a local shop with your L2 and your no name thing. And, and like, oh, could you please build this? Like... Man, I, I, bike shops are intimidating enough, let alone rocking up asking them to do that. Ding, 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 ding. This, this is why I'm not interested because it's not there yet. We're, we're miles away from that. Like, as you said, okay, yes, this might be a, a cheap group set, but it's not going to be cheap. After you take it to the bike shop and get them to build it, it's going to cost you three or $400 minimum must for the minimum. first time. Must be minimum. And I, I would argue that a lot of bike shops would probably say piss off. I'm not doing it because let's. I watched a few of the videos and, you know, there are a lot of problems that he was able to and it's kind of interesting. That's what makes the videos quite good because it's kind of interesting the way he, he found solutions for the problems. The problems. The problems that I certainly can't fix and the problems that a bike shop would probably say, do you know what? I'm not really sure we're going to, like, give the tick of approval to this hydraulic disc rotor and let you go out the door with it. So I don't know. It's legit. So on that as well, like you've got a point there. If a bike shop doesn't think the parts are safe and like this isn't us just hating on, you know, being elitist and hating on the Chinese products. Like legitimately on that group set he built in one of his most recent videos, when he tightened the screw down that attaches the lever to the handlebar, when it got up to torque, it started cracking the plastic and then the lever was loose. Like a bike shop can't build that up and then say, well, this is as good as we can get it. Go out and ride it if it's not safe. And I think, yeah, the, the, and the other thing as well, talking about cost, okay, you've said what, so let's, let's say a standard build, maybe half day, I'm just guessing what, 500 Australian, four, 500 for a build. Uh, if you then factor in all the little things he's had to do to make the group sets usable, so filing something down or in that lever that I'm talking about in that video, there was a bolt rattling and he's like, I can't ride with this rattle. So he had to disassemble the lever to get at the part and then grease it, I think, and then reassemble it. Imagine like a bike shop is going to probably charge an extra, if that's an hour of work, that's an extra 150 bucks. So you're looking at, you know, okay, the group set looks cheap, but total build cost of these things because you can't buy complete bikes it's an extra probably easily 500 bucks. 100%. Here's the truth, mate. Here's the truth. We, at the beginning of this year, did like things to look out for this year. And I think you talked about sort of Chinese frames was, was going to be the winner next year. Mm. And we, we discussed the concept of, oh, what about the group sets thing? And I just pushed straight back and said, we are, we're miles away. And the reason we're miles away, okay, the reason we're miles away is because with the frames and the wheels, they come the the they're coming out of the same factory chat is kind of true it really is kind of true so there's going to be slight differences and all that kind of stuff but the frames and the wheels are coming out of the same factories shram and shimano own their factories they lock them down they are the people producing the products that come to us okay so for these knockoff companies to do it they have to build their own production facilities, build their own um, production lines, create their own products. We saw ourselves, and okay, that's that's even at that level. Where is the next level of stuff? Well, you guys know that I did the stuff with FSA. 
big name brand, big Taiwanese brand, big company releasing 12-speak group set, which is fine, but it's not it's not the finished article still because everything is locked down in that group set world. And so, look, again, that's probably a chat for another day. It's probably a bit beyond the Trace Velo mm. chat, but for me, I'm going to I'm going to push back big time against the <clears throat> that stuff as a realistic option for people for for some time. And it's probably eats into a little bit of why I'm not that interested in, in watching this stuff, you know? I, I, I unfortunately agree on that because, yeah, looking specifically in the group sets thing, because, but that for Trace Velo, it's good for him because it gives him stuff to talk about. And like people, it's, you, people need to look at the reviews for this stuff because if they're considering buying it, you got to know what these quirks are. Can I just gonna quickly mention two YouTube things before I go? Sure. Before we move on to non YouTube stuff. Um, for the first time ever, I watched a Saffa Bryan video. Oh. The Tom Peacock one. Oh, that's, I, I don't think I've ever sat and watched someone descend for 10 minutes ever in my life. Mm-hmm. And not only did I sit and watch it, but he does it with no music over the top. And so you just, like, that's a, that's a no-no for any, any edit normally. But that was, yeah, that was something else. I, I got to say, I just, that kind of content, I just love to get in the mainstream. And because it's a pro as well, so there's a bit of a reference point to, to, um, to cycling. The other one, oh, should I? Oh, it's, it's a GCN thing. Should I? Oh, oh it's no, a G- no, I'm like, <laughs> no, not going to do it. I'm not going to mention it. All right. I, I, I just let me see because I, I do disagree. I did the, the video did absolutely nothing for me, but I'm not sure why. Hmm. Maybe it's because it lo- almost looked like a video game. The way he's edited it makes it look more there's extreme. No, no, but the <laughs> angles of the camera it kind of leans. It's I don't know what he's done with the camera, but it's... Yeah, it's on it's, a gimbal. Yeah. yeah. Oh, is that what yeah. it is? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. It kind of flows. And I'm just kind of like, am I watching... It looks like Grand Theft Auto. Yeah. Which I guess that's cool. But I don't know. I, I, there's way... That's far down the list of Safa videos. I like the gravel ones he did. But that was... People are stealing. That's how I feel sorry for him because all over Twitter are clips of his video blowing up hundreds and hundreds of thousands of views. But they're just screen grabs and people have uploaded them as Twitter videos. It sucks. Yeah, it's really bad. Speaking of video game sort of things, Swift Worlds was on last week. Did you watch? I tried, mate. I genuinely tried. I did. Um, and I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Okay. Okay. No. I, I have to say I'm sorry too because I hyped it up. This has kind of been done, but I'm kind of watching it going, this is trying to mimic real life racing way too much to the point where it's super boring. If you're playing, if you're watching the Call of Duty League, Online, geez, I'm gonna sound really old like that. I'm sure there's a name for it, but <laughs> competitive gaming, Call of Duty isn't built to replicate war in real life. It's take everything from it and condense it and just make it just craziness. Whereas Zwift, I'm in there. They got rid of all the power ups. Only had they had one power up that people could use. So at any point, all you're looking at is avatars pedaling, mm. and that's yeah. it. I'm like, I would think, wouldn't they want to make it more video gamey, like? That's you're on a game. Why not utilize that? I feel like they're going down a weird path trying to replicate real life racing. It makes it really boring to watch. It's it's always been the thing. Is it is it an esports or is it indoor cycling? And that's uh, always I remember having this chat with Jay about it. And he was always, no, nah, it's esports. Like it is it is gaming. It's gamified. That's that is the point. And he yes. But he, it's not. Oh well if you watch it. I mean, they actively took steps to de-esport it and make it indoor cycling because yes. they got rid of all the power-ups. Agreed. Besides one. Agreed. I def- definitely agree with you. But, but my, that's the, yeah. always been the balance. And you're saying that they need to lean more into the esports side of it, do they? Yeah, it will be a lot more entertaining to watch. And also, I mean, if you want to be really strong and win, like, so the lady that won Laos Aldegast, she's really good on the road. Like, she, if she's already good. So I, I, I would like to think that the esports develops a specific set of skills that isn't just fitness based and has some tactical sort of technique gaming side to it and you get like a unique athlete whereas right now it's a lot of the same but see, to push back on you there like we've seen you know jay essentially to been trying to remove himself as much as possible from that like tag i suppose esports guy esports guy esports guy so now you're looking at it and the the people who are doing it probably want their performance to be um, as like 
um, not ratified, but sort of like as cycling, as, as professional cycling-y as possible? Nope. No? Nope. Okay. Doesn't need to be. The, Zwift has a cult following. Like if you are a good esports cycling rider, you are like a, it's like being a good gravel rider. You're known in the scene. Um, okay, maybe they maybe there's a few that want to be known in the road cycling, but this idea of bringing everything back to comparing it to the road is a dead end. They should double down, and and you should if you're a good esports rider, you, there should be ways for you to, yeah, they should try and build their name in that and that scene. And that's only going to happen if the esports is actually esports, not some yeah. weird boring <laughs> thing. And just in terms of the in terms of the coverage, I mean, like the women's race literally cut out with a kilometre to go and we didn't... You, I'm watching it, a kilometre to go, it goes to B-roll of the Zwift world and the commentator's like, oh, sorry, and then the race is over and they're like, oh, Laos won, oh, out of gas. And it was like, oh, okay, that's that's sad. Um, Helicopters other, dropped out, did they? Or, you know, cloud yeah, cover. Yeah, 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 there was a bit of weather issues. Mm. How that can happen in an online training is like everyone in the comments so as well was like how is this possible um okay let me keep, keep rolling uh men's winner as well okay <laughs> now fair and square he outplayed them he just rode off from the start and no one followed him and then they just couldn't catch him or they didn't catch him okay fair win you thumbs up awesome but that's shit to watch. No one wants to watch someone just ride off and you're just watching this avatar leg spin and they win. Like, I'm sorry, that sucks. That's where he needs to ride over a banana skin yes. and then they get caught and then someone fires a red shell. Yeah. yeah. Yep, mm. exactly. Yeah, something like that would be nice. The only thing, the thing that saved the stream for me was Matt Stevens' commentary. Yeah. What an incredible job he does. And I think for me, the thing with Matt Stevens is... Whether he's commentating on the Zwift or real life racing, he g seems so genuinely passionate about it that it just sucks you in. And it's such a unique thing to really sound like, I'm, I'm sure he doesn't really care about the boring avatars pedaling, but it sucks you in and it's really, he's really I find job. he's one of the few as well, right, who seems to have done a little bit more than just look at pro cycling stats. I don't know whether he's he's got good people talking to him about some of the writers or he's just doing it off his own bat, but it's always been one of my gripes with the commentators is you can literally always tell what they'll say about a cyclist because it'll just be whatever's on their pro cycling stats. Matt Stevens always has a little nugget, just some little piece of information about everyone that makes them relatable. Like I, I love that about him. Um, I wish more commentators would do that. I've got a favorite ride of the week and there's a, a few aspects that come into it and it's the, it's the Sunday solo podcast ride. I love it. Absolutely vibing it at the moment. Let me talk you through it. So there's a few, few things to it. It can't be Sunday morning. So it has to be at least lunchtime or later on a Sunday. It has to be solo. And all you do is you go out, low intensity ride and it's podcast in and, and you clock up the Ks. Two hours, if you've got longer, maybe three. But the, the reason why I'm, I'm, I'm really loving this ride at the moment is there's this idea that people have, which is I think they feel like they deprioritize cycling in their life because they get riding done early in the morning. So it's like, well, I get up and I just got to get the ride done because it's not the most important thing I do in the day. But for me, I don't think that carries over to Sunday. If you're getting up on a Sunday morning and you're going from 6 till 10 a.m., Sunday morning is like prime family time, at least for me and for a lot of people I know. That's prime family time. So actually, if you're prioritizing cycling, you're probably going out and riding Sunday morning. So it's pushing that back and then forcing yourself to try not to think about the ride and go and do the other stuff that you're not doing every other morning of the week. So for me, I wait, Sunday morning woke up, uh, took the dog for a walk with my wife, went to a cafe for breakfast. I know, who does that? And just lounged around. I think then we also we were doing some stuff for, for the apartment. So we went to Bunnings to buy some, some stuff. This is good content. Right, then came home and then it's like lunchtime. And that's where it's the hard thing because no one ever feels like riding after you've actually gone and done stuff in the morning. But if you can just get yourself out the door, podcast in, relax uh, and clock up the hours, it's it's... Uh, you get home from that ride at like 
four or five o'clock on a Sunday and it's the most endorphin rush I think you'll get. I can hear the people on their keyboards right now complaining about that. But unfortunately, I completely agree with you. And this is where you're going to get the hate on this is the you're dead right that that morning period of the weekend is a family time. It's the quiet start to the day. It's the same in our house as well, that the kids are all at home. There's no rush to go anywhere. We're all there. We can just be in each other's space quite happily with nothing organised. I completely agree with you. The only problem is the last two Sundays, I've been the guy. Chilled out Sunday morning, so chilled, happy days. Got to lunchtime and gone, nah, fuck it. Yep. I'm not riding today. Yeah. So that's where people lie to themselves because they say they're prioritizing other things by riding in the morning. Bullshit. If you ride every morning, that's when you have the most energy. So you're actually prioritizing cycling. And if you can't do your Sunday morning and then ride on Sunday afternoon, you got to... Look in the mirror because, yeah, it's hard. It's real easy to skip that sun, that very afternoon ride. Very easy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> very easy to Things skip. Things just drift away. Things very much drift away. All right, guys, let us know. Oh, oh no, go on. So the other thing there is there is a physiological training advantage to training in that afternoon. And this reason is if you train every morning, 6 a.m., 6 a.m., 6 a.m., 6 a.m., you're only getting 24 hours recovery in between each session. So if you train, most people will ride Saturday morning. That's when most of the group rides are. If you then ride Sunday afternoon, you're getting probably close to 30, 40 hours recovery time, if I've done that math right. So you're getting an extra whole part of the day. And that then, firstly, you're going to recover better. And if you do that a Sunday ride as a lower intensity ride, endurance ride, you're then good to go get up on the Monday morning and you're good for some intensity again because it's low intensity. So it can actually, from a recovery point of view, it can be better to break that chain of morning rides because you get more recovery after you Saturday ride, which is usually pretty hard. So from a training point of view, it can work really well. And if you lean it nicely into the afternoon, you can kind of just come home and you're straight sort of into an, a dinnery type thing and there's no sort of stress about recovery shakes and any of that sort of stuff. So, yeah, no, on board, 100%, nicely said. All right, guys, let us know your thoughts. Is the Sunday afternoon podcast ride the GOAT? Let us know. Bit of a broad topic, this one, but I just want to start off by asking you, because it's been probably four or five months since you've been involved with the team. How are you finding life as a cyclist being a full privateer spec solo? Very, very um, relieving, uh, a lot of freedom about it. But uh, look, I think you asking me that question is probably not a great cross-section of humanity just because of how invested I was in the team. So stepping Stepping back and away from that's certainly been a big relief from from my perspective, but I do look at it a little bit now and go, I, I don't. I feel like the whole way it's set up is is quite confusing for people getting into the sport, don't you think? Yeah, it, yeah, confusing. Um, do you mean in terms of getting on a team, that sort of thing? Yeah, that's yeah. So I. Thinking like I've you know been busy, so I'm not really missing not being on a team personally right now. But um, I have been thinking recently. Some of the memories have popped up on like Facebook. Does those memory five this year, five three years ago, this day five three years ago, and I'm like, oh, geez, that was good times. And it made me think like, so if I go back in time when I was getting on a lot of teams, the first team I NRS team I got on was because I was sort of coming through the grades and I was showing some potential. So most of the teams, because they're not for profit and they're run by sponsors who just want to support support cycling and up and coming riders who may go pro, I got on a team that was sort of run like that because I had some potential. Was did that for a few years, then I got on Nero because I could nepotism, provide, nepotism. Yeah. yeah, you knew me. That's, yeah, yeah, you got a, connections. But I I had some value to provide in terms of management and things like that. But I'm kind of thinking back now. I'm like, if I was so. Very valuable experience for those years. Lifelong memories, amazing. So glad I was had the opportunity to do that. But I'm thinking back and I'm like, if I wasn't just quite as, had as, just as much talent as I did and wasn't really quite as good and never got those opportunities to be on a team, essentially for free, because I didn't really have to pay to be on those teams. Like, what would life be like? And what is that like for a rider coming up now who maybe isn't quite as talented as the rest of the riders who managed to get on the team? I, 
I feel really a bit disheartened that there's a lot of riders coming up that will never get the opportunity to be on a team and travel to a, an international race or you know do a series of domestic races. I just got a bit sad about the whole thing. I think a lot of it comes back to this thing of how you actually do get on a team. And that for me is, look, it's something that we tried to do. You were a big part of this is to have that online EOI where literally anyone off the street could actually apply to the team and would be considered like as, as anyone, no one, no one actually except you, you were the only person who was given a tap on the shoulder and said, right, next year you're with us. You were the only person. Everyone else had to apply through the team. Jay Vine had to apply to the team. So yeah, and, and I feel like some of that has fallen away and you, some teams have started up again, um, which has been great recently, but they are a little bit of like, well, you know, you go and DM old mate over there and see if he, he what he thinks of you and that kind of stuff. And there's this thing, okay, have, look, I'm gonna, we'll talk about it. There's this other thing that's going on that um, riders are paying to get onto teams, Okay. Now, this is happening a little bit to get onto some of the continental teams in, in Europe, especially for, for people here. And I've heard it as also here with, with guys paying money to get onto to teams. And there's a, a pushback to it. It's like, oh, you can't pay to get on these things. I would argue there's nothing wrong with it. Like in terms of if you really, let's say it's a 10 grand, 15 grand to get on a team. If you really want to do that, I'm pretty sure you can rustle that up, part-time job, you know, staying at home, whatever the circumstances might be, to make that happen. How do you, how do you kind of feel about it? Is it dirty or no? I think I think there should be more for-profit teams because what you were saying back there in terms of you know knowing someone to message get on the team. At the end of the day, even if you know the person to message, they're still picking a team for to get the best riders, the most talented riders, because they're trying to progress riders because that's seen as success in a team. But that doesn't help you know, the not quite as talented dude who just wants to, you know, have fun for a couple of years while they're in uni sort of thing. And why isn't there an opportunity? Why isn't there an opportunity for them to just pay their way onto the team because it's a fun thing to do and and go and experience that for a few years? Because yeah, okay, maybe there are some riders, there probably are riders paying to get on teams, but it's real. It's not public at all. It's it's, it's all hidden. That's the problem. That's the problem, right? So if you had a team that was, had the website up and was like, um, here's your application form. Here's here's the fifteen thousand dollar deposit. Put that down. You're on the team, right? If if it was as out in the open as that, I have no questions that if people were struggling to get that fifteen grand, they could get a GoFundMe page. They could get off their own backside and actually make that happen. I would have no issue with it if it's public and out there. It's the it's what I have heard a little bit is this sort of bidding war thing that's kind of happened where guys are trying to get on teams and it's like well. Coils, Coils offered 10 grand to get on the team. So, you know, if you want to make it, Miller, it's probably going to be 15 for you. You know, like I've heard a few of those stories. Mm. Whereas if it was just bang, here's the deposit, here's what you get, let's go racing. No mm. issues. Yep. I wonder if we'll ever, I, wonder, I don't think it'll ever get there. I, I, I just think it's so expensive to run a team. Like the, the amount you'd have to charge like if you were running a team as a business to actually make money, uh, it would be. It would to be, make money? Oh, well, yeah. that's why. Well, yeah. because the team has to like. Yeah. Okay, th- so people are like, oh, yeah. Well, the team has to be run by people, and if you're running it as a business to give people who aren't that talented an opportunity to be on a team, it's gonna have to. Why would anyone run a team for no reason yep. to take on? You know what I mean? That's kind of the point. Is that it's just the system of teams that run, even domestic or Conti teams, unfortunately, is really shit for just the young guys who just aren't as talented because they'll never get a shot. They'll never get an opportunity like I had, and that's really. It's sad. I wish there was a place or something for them to do. All right, we're going to finish up today with some pro cycling chat because that's what we're we're known for, Jesse, is our pro cycling um, in-depth reviews. What do you got for me? Give me some storylines. Uh, storylines. To- I'm so storylines. I'm following this year. First one being Alexander Kristoff and Soren Warrenskold, the double punch for the classics. That Soren Warrenskold, he's the under twenty uh, uh, under twenty three time trial champion, and boy can sprint too. So you saw him at whatever race, the Algarve or one of those. He like f- f- and and can handle his bike, like leading out Christoph, like parting the seas. Christoph comes up and comes off his wheel, wins the sprint, and then he just ke- keeps sprinting in the saddle and gets third on the stage. 
watching what they're going to do is oof, they're going to be dangerous. I'm fully invested in following them. Alexander Kristoff, top five most underrated careers of the last decade. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Like, and likable guy, great teammate, just always gets a result for your team. If I was starting a team, he's on my, he's on my list, 100%. Love yep. him. Yep. Next one, I'm going to say, other one I'm following, Arno De Lee, the young bull. Wow, watching him in some of these races. Okay, you know, so people have a thing where they're like, oh, Tadej Pogacar is so boring because he's better than everyone. He just rides off. I'm like, that's the only reason I watch racing is to see someone just destroy everyone else, whether it's Remco or Tadej. And for me, Arno Delee, like toying with the field at one of the stage races the other, the other day, like following every move, then attacking over the top. And then he's like, gets to the sprint and he just absolutely towels everyone up. So he's, he's doing om loop um, coming up. And really just a super talent. One of those rare ones. So he's on Lotto Destiny. And yeah, very keen to see how he goes. What do you, what do, you do you do you like watching the super mutant performances or do you prefer the, the head-to-head battles? Uh, I'm a head-to-head battles person, definitely. Uh, super mutant for me, yeah, doesn't doesn't get me going. And that said, it's weird. Like I loved the Sagan era where he was just dominating you know, is like there was every stage was a Sagan stage I loved that there was something about it but there's some there's a different thing about someone riding the last 10k solo up a climb that just doesn't get me going unfortunately yeah sorry fair enough my my okay this is I don't know if you noticed this but the the, the UAE tour team time trial brilliant loved it want more of it want it back I want it in every race ever it's to me it's like it is. It's like the America's Cup. It's like the sort of let's just go and get all the tech that's ever been invented and chuck it on everyone and we're going to look like spaceships for a couple of hours. Loved it. And the speeds, <laughs> holy shit, they're like 57 k's an hour. <laughs> it's just like I just love that. Now that kind of mutant I can get around. The last thing I'll say about the team time trial, so EF uh, were leading the whole thing. Right for to the last one, and they kept flashing back to the EF team uh, on the hot seat. I'd literally no idea who any of them were. <laughs> it, the flashes up, and I, I was looking at them going, "I am so disengaged with pro <laughs> yeah. cycling. I do not know who any of you are." Yeah, that's what we expect from the neuro. Thank show. you. <laughs> we don't Thank know you. who anyone is. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, the best part as well I like about the team time trials is like the little climber who's just swinging off the back <laughs> out of every corner and you just, they got no, they just so outgunned. I love watching that. Yeah, that wasn't great. That wasn't great. Oh, and I did find my pro cycling team. Oh, okay. Yes, yep. I have. I'm just announcing it now. Yep. Uh, so 2023, I will be riding for uh, Tudor Pro Cycling. Oh. Yep. Tudor Pro Cycling. Okay. BMCs. Beautiful. Always wanted one. Thick. Main sponsor is an exclusive Swiss watch brand. So I'm just thinking oh. it's Black Bays for the boys. If you know, you know. And uh, yeah, I'm done. I'm happy. Sorted. Nice. And ASOS kits as well, I think. Oh, okay. Yep. You can ride your ASOS bibs. Yep. Jeez, that's ASOS come up three episodes in a row. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Tick. Done. In. Uh, okay. Other thing I'm following this year's Tom Pidcock. I'm going to call it underrated. Sorry. Underrated? Over. Sorry. Can I start that again? Yeah. <clears throat> All right. Other one I'm following this year is Tom Pidcock, overrated. He's totally, he's underperforming big time. He's he's tanking, right? So he he came on the scene. We all thought he was going to be a world beater. What's he done? One stage of the tour, you know, one classic, I think. Okay. I think he's had a few crashes, few injuries, but I think he's going to have to... Uh, What's he doing? And what 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 is he targeting? I think he's um he's he's to me he's underperforming, underrated. Couldn't disagree more. I am so excited to see what he can do this year. I and I think he could win a classic easily. Uh, I think he's potentially a chance at. Uh, no, I don't think he's a Grand Tour this year. But there's certainly a one week tour in his in his. Um, but weren't you saying the same thing last year? Weren't you excited to see him last year? And he's sort of you know. 
was fully on the bandwagon. Okay. Look, I've seen him go down a hill really fast on a YouTube video. Okay. So that's that's uh, about as um, that's all you need to do. What's he going to do, right? So he's he's smaller rider. So is he targeting the classics? If so, he's he's got a decent punch, but he's such a small rider. If you look at other riders that do well at the classics, like Pogacar, they are so f- to to get to the end of a classics race as someone who's under 65 kilos you have to be so fit so i don't he's know Remco. what he's gonna yeah it'll be liege what's he gonna liege target Bounds, liege amstel uh flesh he's a uh, what's the phrase puncher type rider it'll be it'll be a, you know, an, an alaphilippe you don't reckon he's gonna go for tours not yet because to have that fitness to get through those classics he's surely he's got the talent to anyway i don't know i what do I know? Look I'm just us. saying. He's, Look at he's, us talking about prospective. No, race he's, under, he's underperforming. I reckon. I, you know, he came. He blasted on the scene. Everyone was talking him up, and he, from what I've seen, he he, he needs to do more. Step it up, Tom. Totally disagree, Tom. Tom, <laughs> you're. I'm a big fan. Love love your work. Love your work. You can come and descend Macars with us here in uh, here in Sydney. Show us how. Trying to. <laughs> how long would you hold his wheel on that descent? You'd be oh, gone the by of the, the first, first corner. corner. <laughs> All right, Jesse, thanks for your time today. Guys, make sure to hit the like and the subscribe to the video. And if you are listening to this on a podcast, leave us a review because, as always, that does something, we are told. All righty. Chat to you soon. See you, guys. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less in similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.